You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. There comes a point, we're told in Scripture, where the, the Spirit of God will not strive with man forever. There comes a point where God says, okay, you've made your decision. You've hardened your heart. You want nothing to do with me. You have sealed your fate. I'm just going to give you over to what you've already decided. Kind of changes the complexion of it, doesn't it? While many of us understand how destructive sin is, we sometimes struggle with God's judgment of sin as recorded in Scripture. As soon as we read God hardened Pharaoh's heart, many of us feel as though it's a little extreme. However, Pastor J.D. will teach you in his study today that those who repeatedly harden their hearts towards God will get what they deserve. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Psalms, chapter 80, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Psalm 80 is an interesting psalm, really a prayer, but it's interesting because it really has to do with self-inflicted suffering. And by that I mean we bring unnecessarily the suffering upon ourselves because of our disobedience. We tie the hands of God's blessing on our lives with the ropes of our own disobedience, and in so doing we bring upon ourselves needless suffering, self-inflicted suffering. So what had happened here is, again, the Israelites had sinned greatly, against the Lord. They had turned from the Lord, and Asaph is pleading with God to have mercy on them, to forgive them. Very interesting to restore them and to revive them. And notice how at the end of the psalm he says, if you will restore us, revive us, we will call upon your name and we will be saved. It is believed, and I believe this with all of my heart, that this actually speaks in a prophetic way to the whole house of Israel getting saved at the end of the seven-year tribulation when they are restored. And it has to take place vis-a-vis the unthinkable, unspeakable suffering that will take place during the seven-year tribulation. Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, verses 26 and 27, says, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Jacob is the name for Israel. For And here's why. Not because they deserve it, not for their sake, not for their namesake. No, no. It's because this is my covenant with them. 
when I take away their sins. I was thinking about when we were in Israel and was so honored to have Samuel Smaja of Sarel Media interview Amira and I about this uh, covenant with Israel. And what's interesting is, and for those of you who were with us many years ago now when we were in the book of Genesis, and when God made the covenant with Abraham, he put him into a deep sleep so he couldn't sign the deal. This is when he made a covenant. In other words, Abraham didn't make a covenant with God. God made a covenant with Abraham. See, if Abraham had made a covenant with God, he would have broken that, and God's not going to be party to Abraham breaking a covenant he knows that man can never keep. So this is, by the way, where we get our expression, cut a deal. This is how they would cut covenant. They would take animals, and they would cut them into pieces, and they would spread them out, all the blood, all the again, very graphic, and both parties entering into this covenant would walk through the cut animals and they would make a covenant, cut covenant, and say, if I break this covenant, may what we did to these animals be done to us. You might say they didn't have a lot of lawyers back in that day dealing with corporate covenants. (laughs) That's quite a deterrent. Uh, you don't really have a, any kind of a lawsuit, because if you break the covenant, <laughs> that's it. You're going to keep the covenant. So when God comes down, He puts Abraham in this deep sleep, and He cuts covenant with Abraham. Abraham does not cut covenant with him. So now He has a covenant. He can't break it. That's why He's going to restore them. That's why at the end of the seven-year tribulation, The whole house of Israel will be saved. And he says, this is when I will take away their sins. This has, I think, its reference to the uh, feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where on one day of the year the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, and he would make atonement for the sins of Israel. (laughs) Here's what's really interesting. If the high priest had unconfessed sin in his life, not if he, he didn't have to be sinless, just if he had unconfessed sin, he would be struck dead because he was entering into the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so he would enter in on the Day of Atonement once a year and make atonement for the sins of Israel. Here's what they would do. If he had unconfessed sin and he entered the Holy of Holies and God struck him dead, they had a bell tied to a rope on on his feet. So if that bell stopped ringing, That means God killed him, so they would take the rope and pull him back out. I'm not joking. (laughs) That's what they would do with the high priest on the Day of Atonement. I really believe that this is speaking to that final day when the sins are taken away, and that is the fulfillment 
of Yom Kippur for the whole house of Israel. Psalm 81. Again, this is to the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, and it is a psalm of Asaph. Verse 1. It starts off great. I like the beginning of this psalm, and so will you. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp, with the lute. Blow the trumpet, verse 3, at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Verse 8, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be, verse 9, no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. And verse 10, I want you to pay particular attention to. I am the Lord your God. The emphasis, I believe, is on the I. I am the Lord your God. They are not your God. It is not your God. I am the Lord your God. I think about when Moses was there on the Mount Sinai receiving the law of God, the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God on those stone tablets. Apparently he had been gone a long time. And the Israelites grew impatient, so much so that they started murmuring and complaining. Go figure. (laughs) And they started complaining against his brother Aaron. And they basically, I believe, had actually, with all of that complaining and pressure on Aaron, they had convinced him that Moses was not coming back. Now we have a problem. Because if Moses isn't coming back, then we need a new God. We need a new God. So what does Aaron do? He succumbs, acquiesces to the demands of the people for a God to worship. And he takes all of the gold that they had taken out of Egypt, and they had taken a lot of gold out of Egypt, And he puts it into the fire, and he crafts and makes this golden calf. And then he takes that golden calf, and he sets it up, and he says to the Israelites, I mean, if it weren't written in the pages of Scripture, you could hardly believe it. He says, Behold, Israel, This is the Lord your God that delivered you out of Egypt. Are you kidding me? This golden calf delivered us out of Egypt. 
On what planet is that even remotely sane? How could this golden image that they're now worshiping be the God that delivered us out of Egypt? So verse 10, God declares, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But, I don't like this, verse 11, my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. So, verse 12, I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. This is a a bit difficult for many a Christian to understand. It's sort of like in, I want to say, uh, Romans 1 actually, where Paul very bluntly talks about how God had given them over, given them over to their sin, women lusting after women and men after men. And and it almost at first read, when you don't really understand it, it almost sounds like God is being unfair, unjust, and cruel, and unloving. Like they don't have a chance, like God's just kind of given up on them. God's given them over. You want to do that? Fine, go, go do it. How about in the book of Genesis again, when and Exodus, when the Israelites were being delivered out of Egypt, and it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, that doesn't sound fair, does it? He doesn't stand a fighting chance. He won't let the people go, so what does God do? He hardens his heart. You have to understand that some eight times prior to that, we read that Pharaoh had hardened his heart. So when we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, we need to see it this way, that God had given him over to his already hardened heart. There comes a point, we're told in Scripture, where the the Spirit of God will not strive with man forever. There comes a point where God says, okay, you've made your decision. You've hardened your heart. You want nothing to do with me. You have sealed your fate. I'm just going to give you over to what you've already decided. Kind of changes the complexion of it, doesn't it? Kind of fills in the blanks a little bit as well as to what God is saying here. I mean, God's not going to force himself on us, right? We of our own volition must choose to obey him. When we were in uh, Caesarea by the sea, it's usually the first day of the tour, I posed this question to uh, our group, and the question is this, and I'll pose it to you as well. God knows everything. God has everything, right? So what, what is one thing 
that you and I can give to God that he doesn't necessarily have? Don't shout out, just think it through. What is the one thing that we can give to God that he doesn't necessarily already have? Obedience. That is the one thing that God doesn't necessarily have, and it's something that we can give to him of our own volition. It's a choice we make. He will not force us to be obedient. Oh, he'll discipline us. He'll chastise us. He'll bring adversity into our lives to get our attention. But he'll never force us to obey him. So God does all of this for the Israelites, and we read a verse like verse 11, where God says, but my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. Verse 12 should make the hair on the back of our neck stand on end. There does come a point where God says, okay, apparently your mind is made up. Your decision is made, your heart is hardened, your fate is sealed. So I'll just give you over to your own stubbornness and obstinance and sinfulness and disobedience to walk in their own counsels. Oh, verse 13, and it gets worse. I just have to warn you a little bit here. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but, listen, their fate would endure forever The first three words of the last verse here in verse 16 shake me a little bit, if I can say it that way. He would have. What? God would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would have satisfied you. But you would have nothing to do with me. You would have none of it. It shakes me, it searches me, because I never want it said of me that God would have but didn't and couldn't because I... I wonder, I wonder about all the things that God would have done in my life, but couldn't. All of the blessings that He would have bestowed on my life, but wouldn't. You know, to me, this psalm is really about the heart of God's heart towards God's people. Would you agree that God desires to bless His people? 
I was telling my uh, daughter this last week, <laughs> I've told her this many times, I thought I'm going to just tell her again because I had to discipline her and I, I don't like doing that, but I have to do that because I love her and I tell her if I didn't love you I wouldn't do this. And she's like, love me less than so you don't have to discipline me. <laughs> But I, I tell her, you know, your mom and I don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh man, I wonder what I can do to discipline her today. Oh, I can't wait to discipline her today. I mean, <laughs> she's like, yeah, I guess, I guess you don't. It doesn't seem like that sometimes. No, you know what we do when we wake up in the morning, it is our desire to bless you. We want to bless you. This psalm is riddled with regret. Of all the things that God would have done, but didn't, He would have filled to overflowing. He would have. He would have blessed abundantly he would have. Oh, I pray that there's never a verse 16 in our lives like that. God would have. I want that verse in my life, in the psalm of my life, to read, God did. God did. Psalm 82. Again, a psalm of Asaph. Verse 1, a short song. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods, notice lowercase. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, Selah? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. <laughs> Interesting word. Verse 6, I said, you are gods, again lowercase, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching in the book of Psalms. While our time with you is ending, your study of God's Word doesn't have to. Everyone can learn from the Bible, and everyone will be blessed when they open their hearts to its truth. As you spend time in Scripture today, ask God to share His heart directly with yours, and be open to whatever He has to teach you. Know that we're praying for you as you study, and we'll continue to do so each time we produce a new edition of In Spirit and Truth. Are you in the Kaneohe area? If so, we'd love to have you come be a part of our weekly services. 
Calvary Chapel Kaneohe meets each week to spend time praising the Lord and learning from His Word. Find out more about us and get directions at inspiritandtruthradio.com. You can also hear additional teachings from Pastor J.D. while you're there or download our mobile app for Apple and Android devices to access these messages anywhere and everywhere. We'd also like to point out Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. updates us on where the world is in conjunction with the prophecies of the Bible. He takes the time to comb through the news and tell us how world events line up with God's plan as stated in His Word. If you'd like to view the latest edition of the Mideast Prophecy Update, visit our website. Again, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor J.D.'s teaching, and we hope you'll tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth.